0: Very fittingly, uh, as, as Daryl said, a theme of the morning and, and in baptism and now in sermon and um, even our young, young Lives Mother's Day cards, we're talking about uh, how precious children are to Jesus and what does that mean. Uh, and so uh, Sawyer Pete's this morning, uh, one of our children, is going to read for us our passage this morning. This is uh, Megan and Alan, Pete's uh, oldest son. Um, thankfully he's a lot more like Megan than Alan. But, um, He's going to read for us our passage from the book of Mark, starting in chapter uh, 10, verse 13. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them laying his hands on them man precious that was exactly how i wanted that to go thank you um (laughs) what did he do (laughs) that's my man way to go dude um so potentially some very familiar words uh from jesus here um what's interesting about this passage though is as we've been studying the encounters with jesus this uh, this semester as we've been looking at uh, how Jesus interacts with different people. The woman at the well and Nicodemus and uh, the, the man on the mat lowered in. We've, we've been looking at how he interacts with different people. This interaction is uh, based around children and they're bringing children to Jesus. And Jesus puts his arms around children and, and blesses them. And Jesus is clearly great with kids. Uh, however, what's interesting about this passage is that this interaction is less an interaction with the children per se And it's more interaction with the disciples about the children. That If you look at the passage uh, in verse 13 and 14, it says, And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. Now, we don't know, did the disciples rebuke the kids? That would be rough. Or did he rebuke the parents who were bringing the kids? Either one. Uh, Jesus was not happy about it. Verse 14, But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. That's angry. And he said to them, so Jesus is looking at the children and using them and then talking to the disciples. So this interaction is about how Jesus feels about children but he wants to use the, his heart towards children to teach the disciples and to teach us something as well. So what does he say to them? Well, very clear words from Jesus. I, like it's not, it's not all that cryptic, it is metaphoric but it's not all that cryptic. Here's what Jesus says to the disciples. Verse 14, half of verse, second half of verse 14 and all the verse 15. I'm just going to reread it one more time. Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. In other words, it's only in being childlike that the kingdom of God comes to you. Only childlike people will be in the kingdom of God. That's intense. He's not mincing words. He's saying to disciples something very understandable, but perhaps uh, very um, infinite in its application. It's only in being childlike that the kingdom of God comes to you. And only childlike people will be in the kingdom of God. What's going on here? Why did he say that and why did the disciples need to hear that from Jesus? Why did the disciples in the first place even rebuke the parents for bringing the children to Jesus? Well, in the modern West, uh, we tend to regard tenderness towards children as a virtue, and rightfully so. But that can be manipulated and even overdone and idolized. You know, organizations might appeal for your money and show you, you know, clips of children in need and, and go, don't let me play on the heartstrings because we all know that you're supposed to feel guilty if these children. Uh, aren't taken care of, and there's elements of that that are very true, but it can be used against us politicians, secure votes by kissing babies. You know, it, it can, it, we can use the virtue to, uh, to misapply what it's actually intended here, but regardless of the modern West um, understanding use or misuse of a tenderness towards children, the ancient Jewish society, first century Israel, where Jesus was living and breathing, um, did not regard children that way. Children were neglected, children were uh, dismissed, children were the bottom of the ladder. Children, like women in this patriarchal society of first century Israel, derive their position and their value in society from their relationship to their father. So the adult male is who gave the women and the children their value and their place in society. And so sons were were regarded a little bit higher than than daughters, but here's why. It wasn't because uh, they were better kids. It's because, oh, I've just increased my workforce at the house. You now will carry on the family lineage, but you're kind of worthless to the household until you can start working in the fields. You're kind of worthless in the household until you can start doing something to carry on the family inheritance or the family lineage. So childhood was typically regarded as this unavoidable stage between birth and 13, when the the children would become adults. You will not find a single first century Jewish writing, you also won't find many uh, Muslim or Buddhist writings in centuries way later on, that have a high regard for the tenderness shown towards children. I mean, no ancient Jewish writings will will commend you on how tender parents should be with their children. That is not the norm in Jesus' society. However, Jesus was incredibly tender with them. Jesus had something to say about them. And not only did Jesus love children, children loved Jesus. I mean, how many kids do you know that if there's a grumpy granddad like Keith Phillips, you know, kidding, sorry, um, he was the one holding the, the grandchild on the, on the shoulders. I'm kidding. But Keith isn't even in here. I just tried to dig on Keith. He's not even in here. Terrible granddad. Um, but how many, how many grumpy uh, adults, how many grumpy grandparents do children just run up to to snuggle with? Like kids know. Kids know, is this man, is this woman tender with me? Are they going to embrace me? Are they going to accept me? And guess what happens with Jesus every time children are around? They run to Jesus. Jesus loved kids, but kids loved Jesus. At the end of this passage, he's putting his arms around them. He's cuddling them. He's got them bouncing on his knee. He's he's touching them. He's being tender with them. Jesus's love and intimacy with children was so severe that in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus literally says, like, these are the phrases from Jesus where you're like, oh gosh, Jesus, I don't know if I would have said that, but he's trying to make a point. His intensity and his severe feeling towards children made him say this. He says to a crowd in Matthew chapter 18, if, if, you, if you hinder one of these little ones from coming to me, from flourishing, if you abuse them, if you deceive them, if you use them for your own advantage in any way, Jesus says it would be better for you to tie a noose around your neck with a stone on it and jump in the ocean. It'd be better for you to do that because my wrath against those who have done this to children will not be minimized. It'll be better for you to drown yourself if you treat a little child like that. Jesus, and that's all, it's like, oh gosh, good morning, preacher. But it's, this, this, is, this is the severity of Jesus's love for children. Jesus loved little ones. So much so that in our passage, he rebukes his disciples for stopping the children from coming to him, and then he goes a step further. It's not just that he loved children; he wants to make a point about the kingdom of God with these children present for the disciples to hear. And here's what it is: what well, we said it. We, we said it just a minute ago. It's only in being childlike that the kingdom of God comes to you. Only childlike people will be in the kingdom of God. So why did he say that? What's going on? What's, what is it about children? Why did Jesus need to look at the disciples and say to them and the crowds, the reality of the kingdom of being childlike? What is it about this kingdom of God that this is what was needed to be said in order to have the disciples see what they couldn't see and hear what they couldn't hear? It's because we think that the point of life is to grow up but the kingdom of God is for those that grow young. And I gotta be honest, this week, Joseph and I, as we plan the worship service every week, it's become a very sacred part of my week on Wednesday afternoons when we do this, but writing this sermon and, and wrestling through all of it with Joseph this week, it's, it's bumped up against something like the walls of my heart and, it, and it's kind of pushed its way in. There, there is something magical here. And, and I feel even um, like I'm doing it a disservice to try to explain it or teach it in, in 25 or 55 minutes, you know? Like I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm like there, there is so much here. It's transcendent. There's something, there's something like existentially subterranean that, that like none of us can deny in this little teaching from Jesus. You start exploring childlikeness you start exploring your inner child, you start exploring the call of this passage, and you start to get a sense of what C.S. Lewis talks about in The Weight of Glory. C.S. Lewis says this, he says, I am trying to rip open the inconsolable secret in each of you, the secret which hurts so much that you take revenge on it by calling it names like nostalgia romanticism and adolescence. The secret which also pierces with such sweetness that when in very intimate conversation, the mention of it becomes imminent. We grow awkward in the effect to laugh at ourselves. This secret we cannot hide and cannot tell though we desire to do both. That was Joseph and I, I mean, we were weeping in my office multiple times this this week. And I'm not just saying that for effect, I'm telling you like, you start talking about this, you start bumping up against it. Jesus is trying to rip open the inconsolable secret in all of us. Because here's what I, and every good counselor that I know, knows about each of us. You weren't meant to grow up the way that you have. The harm that was done to you, the shalom that was shattered in you, the things you saw, the things you did, the things you witnessed, the things you betrayed, the things you lost, the things that abandoned you, the regret, the, the shame you feel, the self-hatred you feel over the loss of your childlike self, the parts of you that you wish you could make go to bed and you can't. Jesus wants to get you back in touch with that childlike self in you. Not the childish self. There's a difference between childlike and childish. Not the entitled, whiny, narcissistic self of your childhood, but the real you. The real childlike you. The child that needed a place to belong The child that needed a father or needed a mother. The child that needed a place to flourish. The child that needed a place to be held. The child that knew that it was okay to have needs. The child that had an imagination. The child that was in touch with wonder and righteous fantasies. That that part of you, Jesus is trying to get you back in touch with. He wants to rip open the inconsolable secret in you. Because what's true about children? What's true about you as a child? What's true about the true child in you? In a speech I read this week by infamous children's author, Kate DiCamillo. She's written a bunch this, uh, of children's books. She was on a podcast this week. I don't listen to podcasts, but I read the transcript of it. Uh, And then I kind of did a deep dive. Joseph helped me with this, but um, she she won a Newberry Award. She's won two, but in one of the speeches she gave at her acceptance speech, she said this. She says, children, this is what's true about children and the child in you. Children are open. They're more capable of seeing and receiving the wonders of the world. She goes on to say that children are wide open with yearning and possibility, unbearably alert to the world's wonders and its dangers all at the same time. In other words, a child's experience of reality hasn't been tainted by cynicism yet. Does any part of you miss that part of you? The tender part of you? the one who's not so cynical anymore, not so judgmental anymore, not so closed off? Does any part of you miss that part of you? And would you dare to believe, would you dare to hear that Jesus says, if you can't become young like that again, you'll miss the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom is full of wonder. And the kingdom of King Jesus is not obtuse to the world's dangers. It holds the world's wonder and its dangers all at once at the same time. But the kingdom wants to explore things in your reality way beyond like a moral code. It wants to explore things for you like desire, not are you obeying the 10 commandments. It wants to talk about, do you know what you long for? The kingdom in, in, in the world, the, the kingdom of Jesus wants to explore with the little child in you, not like, what should I do for my job? It wants to explore things in you like, do you know why you're here? That's what the kingdom wants to take you to. It's taking every category of religious experience. It's taking every category of like your ontological self and how you... Suppose you should be in the world and it wants to take it from the surface of where you tend to live and I tend to live and it wants to plummet 10,000 miles inside of you and say, I'm talking about the truest part of you, the deepest part of you with longing and groaning and pain and sadness and faith and awe and wonder and adventure. It wants to get to that place in you. Think about this now. This this, this this brief interaction with Jesus, I said this week in our pastor's meeting, um, typically the less Jesus says, the deeper the depth charge goes. Like he just says one sentence here, two sentences. He says like 30 words and it's like down to the depths. Because here's what he's doing with the disciples. He's turning... Everything that they thought they knew about him and his kingdom, he's turning it completely upside down. Let me give you a little context. These disciples and Jesus, if you know the part of the story where we are, and this this little interaction with the children where Jesus says this phrase, uh, it, it, it appears in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And they all are retelling the story and they basically all say the same exact thing. It's not that different across the gospel accounts, but they're telling it. This event happened while the disciples and Jesus are headed towards Jerusalem for the final time. Like in a chapter and a half in every gospel account of this story, Jesus will be like betrayed, crucified and dead. He's headed to Jerusalem, like the triumphal entry that we looked at a few weeks ago, Palm Sunday. He's headed to Jerusalem to give his life away. The disciples don't know what he's going to do, although he's told them. The disciples just know we got to get Jesus the Messiah to Jerusalem because he's going to bring the kingdom with him when he comes. And we've got ideas about what that kingdom means. We've got the king of the kingdom with us. We've got the king of the kingdom. He's come to overthrow the Romans. He's come to get rid of our oppression. He's come to bring a sword. He's come to be our king and take the throne again. we got to get Jesus to Jerusalem stat. And so these children now are coming and want to be with Jesus. So not only are these children like... Social, sociological uh, like nuisances, like get out of the way, you don't mean anything to the disciples. They're also hindering Jesus on the agenda that the disciples have for Jesus when he gets to Jerusalem. Like, dang it kids, like we, we need to get to Jerusalem. We, we got things to do, the kingdom's coming and that's our king and he's gotta go bring a sword and take down the, the oppression. He's gotta go take down the man. And here's what Jesus does. He goes, hey, I didn't come to make Israel great again, okay? That's not, that's not my, my, my mission is not your mission. My kingdom is not your kingdom. And they want to go to Jerusalem for the kingdom. And Jesus stops all of it and says, the kingdom's not in Jerusalem. It's right here with children. It's right in front of you. Like all of their categories are turned upside down. wait, 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 wait. No, no, no. We got to go to the king. We got to go to Jerusalem so the kingdom can come. Jesus, you're the king. We got to go because we've got an agenda. We got we got our swords ready and literally Joseph said this this week. It's like he's saying, "Put down your swords and pick up your crayons and Elmer's glue." That's that's the kind of kingdom I'm talking about. Our adult kingdoms don't fit into that. Would you dare to listen? Would you dare to lean in and hear Jesus saying, not to the disciples, but to us, you will miss the kingdom of God if you don't become like these children. It's not coming through your promotions. It's not coming through your grasp of theology. It's not coming through your performance. It's not coming through your drivenness. It's not coming through your best laid plans. If you want to see the kingdom of God, you have to become like a child again. Because children are more capable of seeing and receiving the wonders of the kingdom. So if that's true, what's so wonderful about the kingdom? Why why would children be the, 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 the object lesson and why would Jesus say, if you don't become like this, you'll miss it What do children do? What can children do that adults seem to forget how to do? Well, it's actually buried in these words from Jesus, these very particular words from Jesus. One little power-packed word is subtle but critical. Allie, throw verse 15 up there for me one more time. Verse 15, look at this last sentence from Jesus. It says, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall never enter it whoever does not receive the kingdom of God that's the thing that children can do far better than adults that's the thing that we grow out of doing that's the thing that years begin to make us do is despise that word we hate receiving things We love to earn things, we love reward, we love merit, we love accomplishing. We love the self-righteousness that comes from out accomplishing our peers. We love the comparison that we can hold on to to make us feel a little bit better when we don't receive anything. I'm self-made, I did this, I earned this, I made this. Guess what every child in the history of the world is great at doing? Receiving presents. Guess what the kingdom of God is? It's a gift. And guess how you won't get it? And guess how you won't get in if you refuse to receive it by no doing or merit of your own? Frederick Buechner said this, a crucial eccentricity of the Christian faith is the assertion that people are saved by grace. There's nothing you have to do. There's nothing you have to do. There's nothing you have to do, he says. There's only one catch, Beekner says. Like any other gift, the gift of grace can only be yours if you'll reach out and take it. The gospel of grace that can only be received and can never be earned is quite literally wonderful. It should fill us with wonder that the king of our kingdom is saying this sentence. It should fill us with wonder that this is the kind of king and kingdom we have. Jesus is saying, I bought this kingdom with my blood, and now I choose to dote it out on you and give it away and lavish it upon you, but you have to receive it. And guess how much it will cost you. Isaiah 55, he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price? Would you dare to come and take and receive from this kingdom? Would you leave your doings and earnings at the door? Would you come and receive this kingdom from Jesus? Most of us cannot do that. Most of us will not do that. The New Testament says that this story of this lavish gospel of grace this lavish kingdom that can only be received and is not bought or earned is so marvelous and is so wonderful that the angels in heaven, New Test- the New Testament says this, the angels in heaven literally are on their tippy toes, peering over the heavens to watch this gospel of grace unfold and be received. First Peter says, angels long to look into these things. Like... I can't believe they're so full of wonder that like, this is how the kingdom is coming. Angels, like angelic beings who watch the world get spun into existence. Angels, heavenly beings, who see all the 10 dimensions of the universe, I think. This is what they marvel at. This is what they stand in awe of. This is what they are full of wonder towards. A kingdom where children are welcomed in. A kingdom that Jesus says in our passage belongs to children. A kingdom with no merit and no earning. A kingdom that is reigned by grace. Guess who can see that kingdom? Guess who enters that kingdom? only the childlike. And when a child receives this kingdom by wonder-filled faith, here's what the gospel of that kingdom says to them. Welcome home, child. I've got a place at the table for you. See, because only a child with wide-eyed wonder would admit How much they long to hear, not just of their blood-bought forgiveness, but a child is willing to admit how much they long, not just to have a father, but a child is willing to admit how deeply they desire, and I don't care how old you are, this is what you deeply desire, that you would know that you have a father that has come looking for you. Only a child would have the humility and the wonder to admit, that's what I'm dying to know is true for me. That I don't just have a father, I have a father who came looking for me. I didn't go looking for the father, we just baptized the baby in the, in the hope of this promise of scripture, that long before you went looking for God, he came looking for you. That The prodigal son who went away to the far country and he came looking for home was met by a father who had already been looking for him, and only a child would admit that that's what they long for, and only a child would receive it. But growing old puts Teflon around our hearts. We're too old to be filled with wonder. We're too old to risk letting ourselves get hurt again. We're too old to risk having dashed hopes. We're too old to receive such a kingdom even if our inner child knows that's what we long for. Last Sunday, Easter Sunday, after the 9 a.m. service, uh, we did sunrise and then did 9 a.m. and I was about to do the 11. And then come back for the five. I work very hard on Sundays only. Uh, but um, I, <laughs> that's not true. But uh, I, my, my family had come to the nine o'clock service and they were out on the playground and then they were, you know, they were packing up and walking around. This, I was standing right here on the lawn and they were kind of walking around to the parked car over here. And I was standing right over here and my little three year old, three and a half year old, little Tilly, she came running back around the, the corner to me and she said, Daddy, aren't you coming home with us? And I said, no, I have a couple more services to do, but after the 11 o'clock, I'll be home for lunch for a little bit. She said, but daddy, I want you to come home with us now. I said, why? Why do you want daddy to come home with you now? She said, because I love you and I wanna be with you forever. And I was ready to burn the building down. Because only a child, only a child would admit that that's what they want from their daddy. And only the gospel of the kingdom says to you that you have a father that truly and ultimately reciprocates that feeling. Only in the gospel does the father say, I love you and I wanna be with you forever. Does the child in you leap and long for that? Because it's yours in Jesus. And whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, we've all grown so old. And our doings, and our dealings, and our earnings. We don't know how to receive like a child. We don't know how to do this. We, 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 we try so hard to grasp for you and in our growing old, we have forgotten that it's you who came for us. So Father, melt us, wake us up, fill us with wonder at this kingdom that you say belongs to little children. We need your help in doing this, Jesus. So we ask it all in your name. Amen.